Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Directed by acclaimed filmmaker James Franco and based on the chilling novel by Cormac McCarthy, Child of God tells a provocative story of Lester Ballard, a dispossessed violent man attempting to exist outside the social order, consecutively deprived of parents and housing and driven to loneliness. Ballard descends literally and figuratively to the level of a cave dweller as he falls deeper into crime and degradation. We're joined today by the lead actor from the film Child of God, the man who plays Lester Ballard, and that would be Scott Hayes. Scott, welcome to Film School. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. And um, it is a this is a remarkable film for a number of reasons, not the least of which is your performance. But um, this is a, a tough film to watch, and because the 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 material, and we know about Cormac McCarthy from uh, no. Uh, no Country for Old Men and The Counselor and others. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you came to the role. Was this something you did? You know James Franco beforehand, or was it something uh, that you auditioned for? Tell us a little bit about your getting into the role or getting to this role. I've known James for well over ten years now. He, I met him at the Still Adler Conservatory in Los Angeles. I was doing a play called Beach Play. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend at the time who introduced me to him after the show. Who and James came up to me and said, "I really loved your performance. It was, it was, he was, he was just taken by what I did on on stage." And at the time, he had just done the James Dean movie, which had gone. Uh, he went on to win a Golden Globe for his performance as James Dean. And I was thinking in my head, "That's the guy that just played James Dean. I've seen his picture all around Hollywood." Mm-hmm. Uh, this is before he'd really blown up to who he is today in terms of the massive movies he's done. And we—that's when we first met, and it was—it um, was back in Hollywood before the Kodak Theater was even built, like where Hollywood and Highland. It was just a field, and I was—I was a teenager, and we stayed connected over over the years. And and he, I was at Stella Adler, and then there was this other acting school he was at called Playhouse West. And I, I based on his recommendation, I I went over there, checked that out, and then I built my own theater in 2006, and we just did plays at my theater, some for charity. And we just, yeah, we just, we were just, that was our friendship. And over the past, I'd say, what is it, seven, six or seven years, we've grown really close um, on a different way in terms of collaborating. This, this, this is our first serious, serious collaboration together. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've, so... In the past year or so, since we've shot this, we've done some more movies. We did Azalea Dying, and we did, I did a little spot in Bukowski, and then we did an art project called Rebel, and then we did The Sound and the Fury, which just got accepted at the Venice Film Festival. I'm headed to Venice to premiere that in a little bit, and, and I, I'm actually doing a play in New York right now off-Broadway that he directed me. So we, he's been a, one of my closest friends, if he, I consider him my brother and a collaborator for many years now. So was this something when he saw the material, when he got a hold of this uh, uh, Child of God, did he come to you right away? Did he see you uh, Im- immediately as Lester Ballard, or what What was the progression of that? The progression was this. He'd, he came to 
he came to Child of God because he was taking a UCLA class where they studied all of Cormac McCarthy, and he was a huge fan of Blood Meridian. And Sean Penn had the rights, this is the story, Sean Penn had the rights to Child of God for many years. And Tim Blake Nelson was going to direct Sean in it. Mm-hmm. And I think Sean went off and made Into the Wild, or something mm-hmm. happened where, and, and Tim told it, told James and I this story on, the, on set. He, we had no idea that he, this, this whole story existed. So when he, Tim Blake Nelson actually was the sheriff, and the producer called and said, would you like to play the sheriff? Um, Tim was like a thousand percent in, because he knew the, the novel and the scripts better than anybody probably in out there, except for Cormac because he, he was going to direct the film for so many years. So weird synchronicity there, but James saw me do a movie called Post, which Jim Carrick, my childhood friend, directed, mm. and he came up to me the next day after the premiere of that movie and said, I want you to let your hair grow out. I had a shaved head at the time. And can you lose all that muscle you put on? I was like, what? what are you? He goes, I'm thinking about you for the role. I said, Wait, which one? Because I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then he, te- he he told me, go buy the book Child of God by Cormac McCarthy. And the way he tells the story was, he you know, he was thinking about Michael Shannon or Sam Rockwell. or But he knew I, I, I hadn't had, I was at a place in my career where I was ready to do something like this. And there's something, he liked the fact that I wasn't a recognizable face. Mm-hmm. So he, he he said, you know, I read the book. I remember the night I read the book, and I just sat there for a second with my friend just thinking, oh, my God, how the hell am I going to do this? <laughs> and that was my first reaction to it. And that, and, <laughs> but I, I told him, I was like, I'm a thousand percent in. These are the roles that, you know, as a kid I looked up to. It reminded me of, like, Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver, where right. you follow one guy's progression. Right. And it deals with isolation and loneliness, a lot like Travis Bickle character. So there wasn't a lot of convincing that he had to do to me. Um, it was more my head wrapped around the fact of how am I going to go from who I am to what I'm reading on the page of the Cormac Rowe. Well, to that point, mm-hmm. did, what was it in your in your reading and your thinking about it? Where, where was your mind in that, what, what you're going to bring to this role? What did you think you could bring to this role that made you believe in your ability to pull this off, because this is, let me, you know, sort of explain for our listeners a little bit here. Um, Lester Ballard is is a damaged man from the very first frame in this film to the very end of this film. Um, and I think for me, watching this performance, which is really very compelling, and you are the film. I mean, there's a lot of faith in you as a as an actor that James Franco has, has put in you because you are the movie and uh, you're in almost every frame of it. Uh, so it, it, he's, a, he's a man, damaged man, uh, and it's it's difficult to find the humanity in his actions, but I, I think you bring it to him in the quieter moments and and uh, there are things... I just, I'm curious, I, I'm kind of a little bit rambling here a little bit, but what was it about, what did you think you could bring to this role that, that, that made you want to do it? Um, well, in my life, yeah. there's, um, I've, what could I bring to the role? I knew a couple things went through my head, and I'll tell you the progression. I realized that there was, this was so far removed from who I am mm. that I needed to do something drastic. So I had a friend who I, I hit up online who I knew lived in Tennessee. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, come out and visit me. Mm-hmm. And you can do your research. So I went out there, and then I went out there with him, and I went out there with an actress named Alyssa Shea. And us three, went out, we were in Sevierville, Tennessee, which, oddly enough, that's the town he lived in, which is where the novel takes place. Oh, my. It was all by circumstance, random circumstance. And I get, I get there, and I knew his dad, like, um, I, I didn't know exactly what my friend did, but he's like, yeah, I'm the town historian of Sevierville. And I said, really? He's like, yeah. So I, I couldn't have found a more, a, a better place to land when I hit Tennessee than, this, than my high school buddy who knew everything about the town. And he's like this great history guy. He should have his own television show. <laughs> and he just took me around to everybody. And we shot like a, a documentary about it. I, I went and I interviewed a thousand people. And I tried to find people who were around in the 1950s and try to figure out what this East Tennessee Hills accent was and um, how to shoot a rifle. I'd never shot a 30-30 rifle before. So I, I did everything in the novel that Lester did in Tennessee in the place it was taking place from for well over about a month and a half, at least, of just steady work with, with Alyssa and my buddy just roaming around doing this stuff. And as I got into the novel, and I started with the book, I, I started to realize when, when Cormac write, writes, the way he wrote the novel was it says Lester goes here, Lester does this, and he doesn't really say how Lester feels. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff is portrayed in a very dark way, darker in the novel than we actually portrayed it in the film. We actually left some scenes out of the film that were from the novel that would have pushed the audiences away probably too much. Mm-hmm. where it was almost too much to watch. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of it, I saw that this was a guy who was never shown love. Yeah. He was never shown compassion. He, he was never accepted. Right. He, was, he was completely lonely. And, I mean, in my life, my father died at a young age. Lester's father committed suicide at a young age. He, there's times in high school when I felt like I didn't fit in um, or I wasn't part of that crowd or different times when I just felt I was I was judged and 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 that's who Lester was. I, I you know nobody ever came up to this guy and said, hey, you know you're having a bad day. How's your day going? Right. <laughs> they just said, you're you know we don't want you here and you're gonna we're gonna take your land from you and you're gonna go live in the woods and we don't care about you. Right. And that's what they did to this guy. The whole society just turned a turned a blind eye on him and he was left alone. And I'm sure that if Lester lived today, in, in, in today's era, when there's Twitter and, and Instagram and other social media sites or online dating sites, he could probably go online and say, you know, I like, I like living in caves and, <laughs> and, and fishing and hunting. And I'm sure he could meet Miss Ballard and they could go live in a cave together. But he was really alone in this time frame of having nowhere to turn and no means to get, you know, to do anything. So yeah. I tried to relate to him in certain ways that I could. And there, like I said, there's times I felt certain elements that he was felt on a massive level. And then there were things I didn't know, which is why going to Tennessee and doing what I did to prepare. I, after that, I spent about two months living in a cabin alone, and then I actually went and lived in a cave for a while. Wow. Um, so I did all that work that people are talking about. And I think, this, you know, there were times when I was doing that, I felt like I was crazy, for sure, when I was... When I, I, I was like, what am I doing this for? But well, I knew that I was making a movie and I didn't have to live like this. And yeah. even knowing that did something to me that if this was my existence for the end of time, I didn't, I didn't have a light at the end of the tunnel, I, you know. 
it, it was it's tragic. Yeah, I, I, the thing you you mentioned early, uh, and in that he didn't have, you know, we often uh, take for granted we uh, when we grow up we are modeling the behavior of the people in our family, our father, our mother, our siblings, and Lester Ballard didn't have any of that. And then, as you, as you said, he was shunned early, very early on, is considered to be uh, an outcast. And it, I had the impression from uh, the film that he not only was psychologically severely traumatized, it seemed that he had some physical trauma that had brought him to where he was as well. It seemed like it was a, a very potent combination of physical and psychological uh, trauma that had impacted him in his life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, and again, this is one of those performances. I, I know that the film has received, I'll say, mixed reaction, and I, I really can't help but think, because I think it's a terrific film, I, 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 I really appreciate the filmmaking as well as your performance, but the filmmaking in it, uh, but I can't help but feeling feel that the uh, some of the reviews are a reaction to the m- more difficult aspects of the film. That it's hard to quote unquote like um, some of the the things that happen in the film. And, and, but at the same time, I think you have to detach yourself and understand that this that that story is in and of itself. Uh, and the the filmmaking itself are terrific. I, I just I think the story well told, and the film itself is very good. But I, I the reaction. What have you been surprised by the reaction to the film? Is that is that would would you share that opinion about uh, some of the reactions to it? I, I, um. Well, I, I I can understand the reaction. Yeah, I think yeah. that if you are sitting down, and you know James Franco's in a movie, yeah, and you know, and you go to the, see this film. And you're expecting like um, not a hundred. You say you're going to see Pineapple Express or The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> or yeah, you're going to see what's a comedy. You, if you don't know what you're getting in for when you sit down in the theater yeah. for Child of God, you're probably not going to yeah. digest it well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like with No Country for Old Men. If you saw, if you thought you were going to a lighthearted film with No Country for Old Men, yeah. No, that's not what you're sitting down for. If you thought you were seeing so, Raising Arizona when you went to see No Country for Old Men, you were not going to be a very happy person. You're right. You're right. Yes, totally. If you said you were <laughs> going to go see Raising Arizona and you're in No Country for Old Men, you'd be like, I'm in the wrong movie. But I also think that, um, you know, the novel, it is what it is. Yeah. Cormac McCarthy, The Road. The Road. Yeah. Child of God. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the... These are these are novels that are. It's a challenging subject material. That that's exactly exactly so, yeah. Well, uh, I and again, I you know, watching this film, you had alluded to uh, Robert De Niro's portrayal of Travis Bickle, um, and I I saw where you were referring to Heath Ledger as the Joker in the Batman film. Uh, that's the level of commitment. That is the kind of you know sort of we're all in performance uh, that you gave in this film. Uh, and it is uh, it is a very compelling uh, portrayal, uh, and I think what those two performances that I just alluded to, De Niro and Ledger, um, there is such a total commitment on the part uh, of those two actors into those performances. I, I Heath Ledger in, as the Joker was just a phenomenal performance. I still look at that and just marvel at his ability and uh, and the tragedy of losing him, but. Um, you obviously have a, a background in theater, 
performance, uh, live performance. Uh, were there any elements from theater? And, and what did James Franco say to you about what his expectations were for you in, in this role? Um, did he have? Yeah. James had seen me do a lot of plays at my theater. Yeah. James was familiar with my work on an intimate level that a lot of people weren't over the years. Like I said, he first time we met, he saw me in a play. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of stuff I do do as an actor, I prepare in my own theater in Los Angeles, which is why um, I made the decision to move to Tennessee. I knew that, I just instinctually knew that this was something that I could not prepare for the way, the way I have other roles. Which is why I probably did what I did, which people think is crazy to prepare for, for the performance that you know. But James and I's original talks were not much about what I would do. It was more along the lines of making sure I was going to lose the weight and the muscle and and stuff like that. Mm. And he didn't even know I was in Tennessee for a while. I did that on my own. He, I remember the first time he saw me, and he said this. We were doing an interview the other day, and I didn't know this was his his thought. He said, he came to see me in the hotel room and he opened the door and I had the, the teeth on. I had fake teeth in the movie. And he said he, he opened the hotel door and he looked like he was saw golems hitting in the corner from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that I was just this decrepit, ghastly character in the hotel room. And I remember that moment, but I was so... I'd just done all this crazy work for the film that I was just in it. Yeah. So by the time we showed up on set, he really gave me the freedom to do what I wanted to do with the with the role. I mean, early in rehearsals, I filmed the whole movie three times on my own. Um, and that was before I did all the isolation and the cave and the whole that whole other existence of prep. It, so I, I, I was so familiar with the novel and the script and just that world that by the time I got there, James really just kind of had to say, make sure I was in frame. <laughs> and he, he would set up the shots and let me do my thing and and that's great, you know, because he understands the actor's situation, being an actor himself, that I think that he, he was really, really completely hands-off. And I guess the challenge for me was I'd been in Tennessee for so long, and, and some of my closest friends in the world were in this movie. Jim Perrick is my childhood friend. Yeah. Um, the whole cast and the crew, we, you know, it, this is like my creative filmmaking family. And I, I kind of stayed to myself, not because I wanted to be that guy, that actor who stays by himself. But I realized that I've done all this work. Why would I lose it now? Why would I come to come straight from that to set and then let it go? So there's, there's certain things that, um, being in Los Angeles, I look up to Kobe Bryant a lot and I, 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 I see that he takes ice baths after every game and the, and the, and the stuff he puts his body through and just for basketball. So if this is, you know, this is my job and this is, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to go all in because I felt grateful, you know, to be doing a Cormac McCarthy novel with my friends in the middle of, we yeah. shot it in West Virginia. Yeah. And 40 years after Cormac wrote this novel. So I, I knew them, I knew the opportunity I was given and I wasn't going to relinquish any, anything for it. I was just going to go all in. And I think it paid off, man. I think, yeah. I think uh, we made a, a, a solid movie that's a, a adaptation of, of a of a dark novel, of a yeah yeah and uh, again I yeah com- completely agree. Um, what and by the way I want to point out as well that uh, uh, 
Tim Blake Nelson is the is a the probably the other most prominent character in the film, and he plays the part of the sheriff. Uh, and he's terrific. He's, he's terrific in everything he does, uh, and he's just a, a he's become uh, really a great uh, performer. I know he's a filmmaker as well, but he's he's a terrific actor, and, and, and it's great to see him in this in this film. Um, what was your reaction the first time you saw the final cut of this film? I was. I'd never been to Italy, and I flew to Venice, Italy. Mm-hmm. And I touched down, and I was I was in a boat, and I was traveling to my hotel, and I was just thinking to myself, "This is wild." Um, you know, doing what I did to prepare for this movie, and now be to have our our movie premiere in Venice, Italy, at the Venice Film Festival, it was beyond my wildest dream come true. And we were in this theater, and there was this James and I were sitting next to each other. And when the movie ended, there was a 15-minute standing ovation wow. for me, and nice. I just I was I was crying. I, I didn't I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't know what would happen. I kind of just trusted that I'm going to do what I do with this role, and whatever happens happens. But I'm going to give it all I got. And there was this big moment in Italy when I was like on on a boat on the way to the premiere to, to get ready for the premiere, thinking. Like God is good. I was just thinking how great this is, and this is beyond my wildest expectations and dreams. And the film was so widely accepted and, and appreciated at that festival because they knew they knew we weren't out to make some you know blockbuster guy wearing a cape action movie. This is a, an examination of what being alone and not being shown love can really do to somebody, and, and this is what happened. No way do I condone what Lester did, but like I said, I sympathize with with certain things that happened and to his life. So just the way it was received, it was just beautiful, and I, I was just filled with gratitude and love, and it was at the Venice Film Festival, and I saw it, and I was just just really grateful, man. Oh, yeah. I really was. Well, that, that's an amazing story, and congratulations again. Uh, um, the, the work, you put the work in, and, and, uh, and this is been uh, you know remarkable result of it and that's congratulations um couple things before i let you go um one is uh where is your theater you said you have a theater in los angeles my theater is in north hollywood okay it's in off magnolia and lancashire okay um i know a lot of listeners in california so it's pretty cool that um yeah so we're always doing stuff there we we, it's it's a place that I, i built it was a tbvca repair shop back years ago in a barber shop in the 50s and it's right there in the North Hollywood Arts District and we renovated it completely. We gutted it and in 2006 we built a theater but it's more like a performing arts venue because we do music. I, I started a film festival there for a lot of my friends who are like I, you know, I want an agent or this or this or this or any way I can kind of give back and support people who haven't had the opportunities I, I've been blessed to have or things that are going on in my career now. So i I've created like a platform for them to create and give back to to my friends and, and people who are really working hard that are disciplined. Um, yeah. I want to encourage that. So, well, like it- I said, there's a film festival. They make movies in five days. We bring a jury in. I get some of the people. I bring in. You know, I had the Weinstein Company there for the last 
film festival, and, and that's that's great exposure for them to, to be able to make a movie in five days it's called the 120-hour film festival. And they would screen it for them, give them a red carpet, awards, yeah, and they get the whole experience. And um, well, we get... do plays. I'm teaming up with the Rattlestick Theater in New York. I'm actually in New York at the second, about to go do a play okay. that we've been doing this summer in the city. And I think we're going to team up with the Rattlestick Theater, which is a great theater in New York, run by David Van Essel. And they support new plays and new playwrights. And, uh, I mean, it's great. Mike Shannon does a lot of plays here. Jesse Eisenberg, he does. All, he premiered his last two plays here. Vanessa Redgrave did an amazing show. Julia Stiles, is, there's two theaters. She's down the street doing a show. I'm on, I'm on one of the stages. It's a play that was directed by James as well, called The Long Shrift. And I'm here in New York doing the play till the end of August. So I'm kind of going to merge my theater with New York theater so we can create things at the Sherry and take it to New York when it's ready. And it's it's just great. It's like the floodgates have opened from being able to really, really get work moving. Yeah. So it's here in L.A., then we can take it to New York. And yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this. I named the theater after my mom. Her name is Sherry. So. I was going to say, the name of the theater is the Sherry Theater or Sherry Theater? Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y. Okay. And that's my mom's name. And I couldn't think of a name for the theater. And it was like a family venture, you know. It was like we, all my friends and family built this theater with their own hands. So I, I just kept coming back to Sherry. You know, my mom's name is Cheryl, but yeah. everybody calls her Sherry. I was like, we should just name this up to my mom. And now it's the Sherry Theater. And and if people wanted to go online, find out what's coming up, they can go to what? Um, SherryTheater.org. Okay. Or, and okay. We're, we're doing a whole revamp of everything because of all the stuff that's happening yeah. at the theater. Mm-hmm. So it's like, in the next few months, we'll really have a lot of new exciting stuff coming up Great. with this thing we're setting up here in New York City and at the theater and the film festivals. It's, it's just, it's an exciting time for the theater because... Before, it was just, if I wanted to do a play, we would do it, and that would be it. Or, and, and right now, there's a school there happening. James has the Studio 4, which is a branch of Playhouse West. That we're, we're, We have a school there for actors who want to learn their crafts and get into the, the world of acting and writing and directing. So we're really trying to create a hub for the arts um, in, all, in all areas. One last thing before I let you go. You you have a film you've directed you're, that's coming out. You mentioned um, is it next year? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, the one in um, about the the documentary. Um, okay, if that's oh, I mean the documentary about Tennessee. Is that is that something? Oh no no no! I just like I just got back from Africa. I was directing a movie over the last few months, off and on, flying to and from Kenya. And it's, um, I'm editing it now, like at night, while, after the play, I'm working on with my editor online. He's sending me cuts and notes, and it's kind of crazy editing a movie <laughs> from L.A. to New York. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that movie's coming out next year, and, and I'm, I couldn't be more passionate about it. It's, that guy's literally doing what I hope I can do when my life's over. He's, this guy, Charles Mooley, based out of Kenya, Africa, was an orphan and then he became his parents left him and abandoned him and then he worked really hard he was a beggar for food and then the next thing you know cut to years later he worked his way up to becoming a multimillionaire in nairobi wow and he started these bus companies and he became major he was like the great gatsby of nairobi and then one day these kids in the street asked him for his 
for some money to par- help park their car, and they st- and he didn't give it to him, and they stole his car. So that haunted him forever. So he he decided to close all of his businesses and devote his life to saving street children. So over the past 25 years, he's legally adopted 8,000 children, and it started with him going out in the middle of the night and rescuing kids who had been abandoned and left for dead. I'm talking like three-year-old children, babies. He takes them into his own home. His wife thought he was crazy. They're like, what are we going to do with all these kids? Now he's got 8,000 children. He's planting trees, and when you plant trees, it brings rain. And he has dams, so, so it's actually changing the climate. Um, he's, he's, an out, he's an unbelievable man, and, and it's a story worth telling, and he's making a difference in the world, and he's impacting lives on a massive level. And that's something I think everybody can learn from and do, and it, he's remarkable. Like, huh. And that's, that's, a, that's a film I'm so passionate about, and I can't wait to, to premiere next year. Well, I hope. I hope you find some time. I'd love to talk to you about it. That is that sounds that's an amazing story. So right away you got me very interested in that. One last thing. Last thing here. Oh Did, yeah, I, whatever you want, Mike. I'm, yeah, I'm okay. Appreciate you. Yeah, well, I appreciate you spending the time with me. I, this has uh, been fantastic. By the way, remind our listeners we're speaking with Scott Hayes, the as uh, the the lead actor in uh, James Franco's new film uh, Child of God. He plays Lester Ballard. What have you learned uh, from working with James Franco as a, as a filmmaker and your takeaway and to your projects and you, as you continue to do film and theater? What, what, what would be one or two things that you really feel like you've learned from working with James Franco? James has impacted my life on a personal level. Many years ago, I was going through a really hard time, and he was there for me uh, as, a, as a close friend. We have a lot of similar passion. I think that's why we connected and we, we've remained close and and become like brothers now. Um, and I can tell you that the one thing he's shown me is, is discipline and and listening and being there for people because there was he, he's really not many people know that about James, but he's really really a great guy. And if you're his friend, if you're like one of his close friends, he he, he never not that doesn't after all the stuff he's doing, he always has time for his friend. And I think that as a as a, on an artistic level, the one thing I've learned from James is that really to have no fear and not listen to what people say. And that's something that I've always had in me, but I see him doing it as well, is that people may not, you know, always understand why you... Because, I mean, James can do anything. James could go make a fashion line. He could be partying at night, going out to clubs. But what he, what's he's, he's doing is he's taking our country's greatest authors and he's adapting those stories to film. Yeah. In many years, people have said Faulkner cannot be adapted. Well, we just shot The Sound and the Fury. And I believe in the film. It's a beautiful film. And we're, gonna, we're going back to Venice, Italy in a matter of weeks to premiere that movie. Cormac McCarthy, Child of God. It's very dark. People said untranslatable to, to film. And, and we do it. And that's what he's doing with his free time. Um, in between the acting projects he has. Um, So, I don't know. As a filmmaker, James and I are very different. I I would like to say I'm more of a perfectionist in terms of, as an actor, I I probably do a lot more takes than James. In Child of God, what you watch in that movie is pretty much one take, you know? There wasn't a lot of, let's reset this shot up. It was one take, and I did it. So we have differences as filmmakers, but there's a key element is passion, is that I know that we are both really passionate about the things we do, and I think at the end of the day, that's one of the most important things in the artistic endeavor is the passion you have for the project and having faith in it, and having faith with the people you're working with, 
I have faith in James, and James has faith in me. Yeah. I just did a movie with Jeff Nichols, and the minute I walked on that set, I'd seen Mud, I'd seen Take Shelter, and he wanted to work with me. And I was like, I would love to work with you. I have faith in you as a director. So working with people like Jeff Nichols and James, and yeah. I have faith in my Africa movie that this is a story worth telling. So when I'm in Africa and Kenya, and there's like, we're getting swarmed by people who, it's a very dangerous situation. I've got bodyguards with AK-47s. I have faith that, like, I'm supposed to be telling the story, and I'm going to stick stick this out, and it's it's, it's going to hopefully make people think and feel, and, and and I think that's what's what's beautiful about cinema, and especially in the stage. I'm about to go do this play tonight, and yeah. people can come see the show and, and walk out of there going through certain things in their own lives. I mean, yeah. I've, I've done my job, and I'm happy. Well, Scott, this has been a a real pleasure, true pleasure to have the uh, time to spend with you. Continue the great work. I think uh, what you and James are doing, this kind of creating a community of artists who are going out and being doing what they 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 feel that their art is calling for them to do. I think is just great, fantastic. I would love to come up to the sherry uh, and and uh, spend some time. Whatever it is, plays or or uh, or films. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to get up to. It's NoHo. I assume that's still con, is that considered NoHo where you that are. That is NoHo. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mike. Very good. And for those in Southern California, they know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, congratulations and uh, thank you so much for finding time to spend here on Film School. Oh, it's been great talking to you, and I appreciate what you do and, and um, everything, Mike. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.